Well, today, when we sin, what do we do? Well, the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, uh, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we know that when we sin, we confess our sin. We tell on ourselves, confession is not saying I'm sorry, even though you might be sorry. Confession is actually telling on yourself. And so that's what it is. Now, what did they have to do in the Old Testament? When you actually study it, you say that, gosh, a person that sinned in the Old Testament was actually supposed to bring a, a sacrifice. And, and they were to take it there, and basically they put their hands on top of the animal, and then the priest would kill the animal, and just like you're taking your sin and putting it on that animal, and that animal is a substitute and dies in your place. And so they had to sacrifice a bunch of different times. So aren't we glad? We'd say, <clears throat> I'm so glad we're not in the, under the Mosaic law aspect. But realize that in the Old Testament there were priests, and there was a high priest and priest. Well, in the New Testament, we think about it, there's a high priest and priest. The high priest is Jesus, and we're the priest. So how does this work? What do we do? And so we're seeing Jesus <clears throat> as our great high priest and us as priest. And here's what we did. We decided to do this study into three things. <clears throat> we look, what is a priest? How is Jesus Christ our great high priest? And then what do we do as priest? And we hadn't got to us yet. But this morning, we'll finish out how Jesus is our great high priest. So let me give you a quick review. First thing is, what is a priest? A priest actually is the go-between. The priest is the, the one that represents man to God, the go-between. And the priest in the Old Testament did the intercession and the sacrifices. You could go to the priest, and he would actually go to God for people. They would also bring the sacrifices. And whether they were a sacrifice for sin or, or not a sacrifice for sin, they would come and they would do that. Now, with that in mind, we talk about the high priest. Now, under the Mosaic law system, there was a high priest. Aaron was the first one, his oldest son would be the next one, and on down. That's what it was supposed to be. So the high priest had a particular job. And we're going to see how Jesus, and this is number two here, how is Jesus Christ our great high priest? How does this all tie together? And we're going to see it. In fact, one of my favorite verses, you don't have to turn there, you're in Hebrews 10. This is Hebrews chapter 8. It says this, and I like the way the, the writer of Hebrews says this, and you wish sometimes that every writer would say, let me sum this up for you. But he says this. Now, the main point and what has been said is this. This is what the main point is. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. We have this great high priest. And we could stop and say, well, why is he there? Wait a minute. He's a high priest, but he's seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Do you know in the Old Testament under the Mosaic law, priests never sat down. The regular priest never sat down and the high priest never sat down. But this, the Bible tells us that we have a high priest who is set down at the right hand of the throne of the Father. So we say, what's going on? And so as we look at our high priest, Jesus Christ, we see he does two things. He makes intercession. That's why we can come boldly to the throne of grace. And there's a sacrifice there, and it's dealing with his life and with his death. Now, we saw some of this last week, so I want to remind you of this and put this together. But first of all, he's our intercessor. That's what he does. He makes intercession for us. He's there dealing with sin, dealing with answered prayer. So we can bring any prayer requests we want to. Hebrews 4.16, Therefore, let's draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of the need. You can come to God anytime, anyplace, anywhere about anything. And this is what's so good because Jesus Christ is the intercessor. Jesus Christ is there. And so you've got God the Father, so to speak, and then you've got Jesus as the go-between. And, and the Bible actually tells us, since we don't know what to pray for, the Holy Spirit sometimes knows what to do. So the Holy Spirit tells Jesus, and Jesus tells the Father. 
And so that's how we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Uh, look at that. Come, with, We can come with confidence. We can come boldly. My, one, the way I memorized the verse uh, in a different translation, well, let's come, you know, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in the time of need. So he says, just bring everything to God. Look at this one right here. We don't have to be anxious for anything. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Bring, bring your requests. Bring them all. So we can come to God anytime. So think about this. Any issue, any uh, thing you're worried about, any aspect going on, anything that you're anxious about, anything that you want to talk to God about, you have an intercessor, Jesus Christ, the great high priest who is seated where? At the right hand of the throne of the Father. Well, there's a second thing. We said that we come with intercession, but we can also come with, conf- well, we can come with confession. That's still under the intercession part. With that, uh, we come to the one who paid for the sin. Have you thought about uh, confessing sin? And you think about it when you go to God or you go and you say, I want to confess that I lied. Uh, Jesus says, I know, I, I paid for it. <laughs> I mean, I'm the intercessor. And so he goes to the Father and says, they lied, but I paid for it. He's actually our defense attorney. There's a Greek word when you look at it in First John, and it says he's our advocate. He's our defense attorney. And so that's why the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous, faithful and just to forgive us. He forgives us and gets us back at the fellowship, and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So when you think about what Jesus Christ has done, he's there all the time. And whether you sin and you need to go to God and confess it, or whether you just want to take any request or prayer or issue, you can come to him anytime, anywhere, because he is your intercessor and he's also your advocate. Now think about that. How often do we do wrong? All the time. So what do we do? We can go to him anytime, anyplace, anywhere, and we say, I did it. And what does he say? I know. I already paid for it. He's the satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for what? for the sins of the entire world. You know, we think when we sin that we're fooling him, like maybe he didn't see that one. He knows everything. In fact, he says, I not only saw it, I've already taken care of it. This is what's so great. And, and, and there's the people this don't understand. They all think it's about sin. And they all say when you talk to people about salvation or even the Christian life, it's all about sin. And so to be saved, you better turn away from your sins. Listen, sin has never been the issue for us. Jesus already paid for all sin. Sin's not the issue. The issue is belief. He said, whoever believes is not condemned, but who that believes not is condemned already because he has not believed. That's really the issue. And so when we think about our Savior, we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Okay, now there's a second thing that he did. Not only makes intercession, but he makes sacrifice. And this is life and death. And let me talk about this for a second. There's a sacrifice really of his life because he comes and what does he do? He didn't come to do his own will. He came to what? Do the will of the Father. What, what, what's the one sacrifice you can do? The Bible says, uh, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a what? A living sacrifice so that you can obey God. That's what it's really about. So what did Jesus do? He said, I didn't come to do my will. I came to do the will of the Father. And what did, Jesus, what did the Father say? This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well-pleased. I mean, this is, he lived that life of well-pleasing, and that's, that's his life. And so if you look at the life of Christ, you could say he always did what the Father wanted him to do. I think it's pretty amazing. When you look at it, Jesus never says, this is my plan. He says, it's the Father's plan. He says, my Father is working, and I am working now. Meaning, basically saying, whatever my Father tells me, 
I'm doing it. So he lived that life. But there's a second thing is, and he dealt with, this deals with his death, and this has to do with sin. And he didn't cover sin as the other priest. Jesus Christ paid for sin. It's pretty amazing when you look at it. I want you to, um, I, I think I have, yeah, Hebrews 10. I want you to look at this for just a second. Look at Hebrews 10. Look at verse 1. It says, for since the law was only a shadow of the good things to come. Now, the law had certain things, but it was a foreshadow of somebody to come. Who is the good thing to come? Who is it's Jesus. And so, and not the very form of the things, but it could never. The law, never by the sacrifices, which they offered year by year, make anybody perfect. Sacrifices couldn't deal with sin. What did the sacrifices do? They covered sin. He says, otherwise, he said, if they could deal with sin, otherwise they'd cease to be offered. I mean, if you dealt with sin, you wouldn't have to offer them anymore. Then he goes down in verse 3 and says, but in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, year by year, because it's impossible for what? The blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Now, I want you to stop with me and let's talk about the high priest at the time of Israel, and then we're going to see how Jesus is our high priest and what he did. And so we're going to talk about the Day of Atonement. Now, the Day of Atonement happened just within like a couple of weeks ago for the Jewish people. Jewish people did this. They had all these different feasts. They had Passover and unleavened bread and first fruits and Pentecost. And then they had a, a feast called the Feast of Trumpets, which was New Year's. And then they had something on the 10th day of the seventh month, which was called the Day of Atonement. It was a high holy day. Following that, on the 15th day of the month, they had a feast called Tabernacles or Booths. So the Day of Atonement was the only feast that wasn't happy. All the rest were happy. This was when the sins of the people were covered for a year. That's why if you lived in Galilee and you sinned, about the, if you said, I've sinned, I'm going to make the trip to Jerusalem, which will probably take me two days, and get down there off the sacrifice for sin and come back. Well, by the time I've come back, I've already done it again. And so how in the world did a person normally uh, deal with sin on a daily basis? Now, people who might live in the Jerusalem area could. And so when the priest would go in... He would cover the sins of Israel for a year. It's called the day of covering, the day of atonement. So that's why the sins in the Old Testament were not paid for. They were covered. Now, I wanna, I'm going to take you through something, and then I'm going to show you about Jesus, and, and we're going to talk about the day of atonement. So we're going to pretend I'm the high priest on the day of atonement, and I have my regular robes on, and my robes are really nice. And I have a little hat that says, to the Lord, right here. And the robes come down, and I got some things, and I got this uh, uh, breastplate thing that has the 12 stones and the Urim and the Thurim and everything. And then I have a thing that comes down to the bottom, and down at the bottom there are these, these little bells and pomegranates all the way around. And so when I walk, as the priest, it jingles, okay? On the Day of Atonement, the sad day, the people are out there. And the high priest comes out in his outfit. They hold up a sheet. And the high priest goes behind it and puts on a linen robe. And he comes out. And he comes before the people. And they bring a bull to him. And the bull, they bring this bull up. And the high priest puts his hand on the bull. And the bull is for him and his family. And they take a knife, and they cut the throat of the bull, and the blood starts flowing out, and they have this pan, and they put it under there, and they catch the blood of the bull as it comes out. 
And then the priest takes that. And he's going to go into as the holy place. And when he walks into the holy place, so that way is a lampstand. And that way is a table with 12 loaves of bread. And then right in front of him is a little altar. It's not as tall as this. It's probably about this size. And it's got an altar. It's got an incense thing that's always burning. He walks in with that blood. He takes that altar, and there's a curtain right there. And the back room's called Holy of Holies, and nobody goes back there. The only, the priest, certain priests could come in this front room. Some people were chosen to light, the, keep the candle going. Some people were chosen to come in and change the bread out. Some priests were chosen to come in and make sure the altar of incense is burning. No priest could go in the back room. In the back room was the Ark of the Covenant, which was a box. And it was made out of wood, covered over with gold, with a solid gold lid, with two angels, two seraphim with their wings pointed toward each other. And if you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, that's exactly what it looked like. And it's in the back room. And the priest took incense, went behind the curtain, and filled the room with incense. Because if he didn't, and he went back there, he would die. So he said, I'm going to make sure it's got a lot of incense in there, right? Then he takes the pan, and he goes in the back room. And the question people ask is, how could he see? Since there's no lights back there. The lights are in the front room. Some say the glory of the Lord lit the room. We don't know. He goes back there. He takes the blood, pours some of the blood on the top of the ark, takes it, sprinkles the blood around the side, and this is covering his sin and the sin of his family. And he comes back out. People are all waiting outside. Tradition says they tied a rope around his leg and that if he were to die and he doesn't come out, they could pull him out. That's what tradition says. doesn't say anything in the Bible about that, but that's tradition. So he comes back out in front of all the people, and I'm sure everybody went, he made it. And so he comes out, and they bring a goat. And there's actually two goats. And there's one goat, which is the goat for the Lord, and there's another goat that they tied a little ribbon on. It's called the scapegoat. So they take the goat for the Lord, and it represents the sin of the people. And so the high priest puts his hands on top of the goat, and this is for the nation of Israel. They take the knife, cut it, put the pan under there, catch the blood. They got the blood. They're saying, okay, I got the blood. He goes in the front room. Puts the incense, makes sure it's back there. He goes in the back room. There's the Ark of the Covenant. He pours the blood out and covers the sins of Israel for a year. And he comes back out, and the people, of course, are all waiting for him to come out. They're just waiting for him to come out. And he comes out, and you can all see him probably go, Whew, but they're not through. Because it's a picture, this picture of this death of this, this goat. Well, what about it? Well... They have a live goat called the scapegoat, and that goat symbolically takes the sins and removes them. And so there was a chosen person, probably a Levite. His job was to take the scapegoat, lead it out into the wilderness, and let it go so it never comes back. And so the sins of Israel were paid for, are covered, and taken away. And then the priest would come out, go behind the curtain, put on his clothes, and go on. And so that was what the priest would do. He would go into the Holy of Holies to cover sin. Now, what did we say about Jesus as our great high priest? He doesn't cover sin. What does he do? 
He pays for sin. That's something that we don't always understand exactly. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for our sins. He was separated from the Father. That's the spiritual payment. He died physically and then rose again. That's the, the physical payment. And he shed his blood. And the Bible talks about the shed blood. Question? So what do the Jewish people do now? Well, what do they do now? They don't do anything. Their temple is gone. Some of them meet together. There's some on the Day of Atonement actually kill a chicken. And there's some who don't, who do, who, who, here is one of the things that sort of developed over the years. On the first day of the month, on the first day of the seventh month, which is the Feast of Trumpets, there's a 10-day time period. They, they call, that, that's a kind of 10 days of mourning. They believe God opens the books of life, and they got 10 days to make sure they're in the book of life until the covering for sin. So you can see it's still, it's works. I mean, they've just not ever grasped the idea of Jesus and his sacrificial payment. And so that's what they do today. So you're the, we said that Jesus was the, the great high priest who paid for the sins of the world. Now, when Jesus was on this earth, what tribe was Jesus from? Judah. So could Jesus, could Jesus go into the temple and say, excuse me, and go up to the altar, go into the front room? Go into the back room? Why not? He wasn't from the tribe of what? Levi. So somebody said, well, Jesus can do anything. No, he can't. He can't lie. He can't go contrary. He couldn't go contrary to the word of God. He couldn't break the Mosaic law. He kept every law perfectly. I mean, he did everything. So Jesus isn't a priest of this earthly tabernacle. Now, what you may not grasp, but many of you do know, in heaven, there is another tabernacle just like the one on earth. In fact, when God told Moses to build the tabernacle in the wilderness that has the altar out front and the, and the, the, the showbread and the lamps and the, and the curtain, and the, he said, pattern it after the one you saw in heaven. God let him see the one in heaven. So the one on the earth is like one in heaven. So what did Jesus do? We don't know when he did this, but sometime... After, when he died and rose again, sometime, whether it was between the three days and three nights, whether it was during the 40 days he walked on the earth, whether he was already ascended into heaven, whether it was while he was on the cross, we do not know, but Jesus actually took his blood into the tabernacle in the heavenly places and poured out his blood, not to cover sin, but to do what? Pay for sin. Hebrews chapter 9. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come. Remember the law was just a what? A shadow of the good things to come. Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come. He entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. Where's that one? That's in heaven. It says, not made with hands. The one on the earth was made by who? By people. Where's the one in heaven made by? By God. Not made with hands. That is not of this creation, the one that Jesus went through wasn't on this earth, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all time, having obtained eternal redemption. Is that unbelievable? Jesus Christ went into a tabernacle in the heavenly places, and poured out his blood, not to cover the sins of mankind, but to pay for the sins of mankind. 
all the blood of animals, everything that was ever sacrificed on the earthly tabernacle made with hands only could cover sin. Here's Jesus going into the one in heavens. Now, the truth is, when did he do this? He was separated from the Father between 9 and 12. And be, I'm sorry, between 12 and 3, he was separated from the Father when the world, earth became black. And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It, did he do it then? Did he do it sometime during the three days and three nights when he was in the heart of the earth? Did he do it sometime in the 40-day time period when he walked on the earth? Did he do it sometime after he ascended to heaven and seated the right hand of the throne of the Father? We have no way of knowing. The Bible doesn't tell us. It would be great. It would be a great question when you get up there and say, by the way, when did you do that? We'd like to know. I mean, we're just kind of just curious. I mean, it's not that anything wrong. Yeah, we just wanted to know. We just want to know. So look, <laughs> look at this right here. Hebrews 10, 11, and 12. And it says this. Every priest daily stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. Why can't they take away sin? Because the blood of bulls and goats cannot what? The blood of an animal can't pay for people's sins. Of course not. That's exactly right. Of course not. Can't. What's the only payment for a human being's sins? What blood? A human being's blood. It has to be the blood of a person to pay for a person's sins. But the problem is you have to have a perfect person. Because all the animals had to be what? Without spot and blemish. And you have to have a person that's without spot and without blemish. And has there been any? Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Just got going down the list. And the answer is there's never been a perfect person except Jesus Christ. The perfect son of God who became a what? Human being. Why would he become a human being? So that he could be the great high priest and offer himself as the final sacrifice for sin. So every priest stands daily, ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which could never take away sin. But he, Jesus, having offered what? One sacrifice for sins for all time. Never going to be another one. He has sat down at the right hand of God. Remember chapter 8? He says, here's what the story is. Here's the main point I've been trying to tell you. We have a great high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of majesty. Where's Jesus right now? He's at the right hand of the throne of God. We don't always think about it, but at the right hand of the throne of God, he is the great high priest. That's what he's doing. And he is the intercessor for us. He is the sacrifice for us, but he's the great high priest. So next time, when we think that next week, we're going to look at then what do we do as priests? Because we've seen what does a priest do? We've seen Jesus as our great high priest, and then we talk about what do we do as priests. Now let's let, let's talk for a minute before if you, you've got questions. Anybody got questions or comments? Anything about this? It, I mean, it's pretty unbelievable, uh, pretty amazing. I don't I like to use the word unbelievable, but it's just it's beyond comprehension that Jesus Christ would go in some place in the heavenly places that look like the thing on the earth and pour out his, his human blood. Think about that. When people say that Jesus really wasn't a person, yeah, he was, of course he was a person. He was 100% what? Man and 100% God. And he had blood, didn't he? Did he get tired? Did he eat? He's a 100% human being and he shed his blood as the perfect Lamb of God. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the what? Sin of the world. He's the only one that can do that. So let's understand the role of the great of our great high priest, Jesus Christ. He makes intercession for us. 
That's what he does. He's the intercessor. He comes. We can come boldly to the throne of grace, to all, you know, and, and you know, we can uh, ask any prayer, any request. Uh, we can also bring, uh, when we think about this, we can uh, uh, confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us. But there's the second thing, and that is he's the final sacrifice for sin forever. Aren't you glad? I mean, think about this. Do you remember that in the front, between the front room and the back room, what's there? The curtain is there. What is the curtain for? It, it separates God from man. That's what it does. And the only person who could ever go back there was the great high priest, or the, or the high priest, and that was just to cover sin. He didn't deal with it. I mean, he didn't. And so, it was. in fact, the book of Hebrews says, as long as that curtain is there, it shows the way to God is not open. Now, when a person in the Old Testament dies... Where'd they go? They didn't go to be with God. You know why? Because it wasn't open yet. Door wasn't open. They went to Sheol. We're going to see it this morning. If you were in the first service, you've already seen it. If you weren't in the first service, you'll see it here in the second service. But there's a place called Sheol, uh, Old Testament word, Hades, New Testament word, and the heart of the earth. And on one side was a place called Abraham's bosom or paradise. The other side, we call it torments. And when an Old Testament saint died... Because the way was not open to God, yet they went to the heart of the earth and waited until this payment had been made. And when the payment was made, what happened when Jesus died on the cross and the payment was made? The curtain was torn from the top to the bottom, signifying it's God who tore it, not man. And it was torn, and now you could see into the back room. Because the way to God is open, and Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through him. If you study the book of Acts, can you imagine if you were a priest after Jesus died, and you walked into the tabernacle, and it was your job to do the lights, or the bread, or the altar of incense, and you walked in there, what did you see? You saw the Ark of the Covenant. You went, what in the world happened here? And let me tell you what the book of Acts says, a great number of the priests became believers. Because they saw what happened. So, great stuff. Any questions, comments, anything before we break? Yes, Charlene. Do what? Not as far as I know. I don't know what they did. In fact, let me just say this. We don't know whether they had a curtain up or not. And we also, let me just say this. Tradition says that after they were taken into, this is tradition, after they were taken into Babylonian captivity, and in the Babylonian captivity, they, they took the, the lampstands, they took the Ark of the Covenant, probably melted them down. And tradition is they never built another one, and that at the time of Christ, there was just a big stone in there that they poured the blood out on. That's tradition. But once again, we do, you don't know. You don't know because tradition sometimes is right and sometimes it's wrong. So we don't know whether there actually was an ark at the time of Christ or whether they never, they never put another one there. Uh, so we just don't know. Uh, I, huh? Well, one more question? I think you used your allotment. But anyway, no, okay. No, okay. <laughs> the temple was gone while it was there did they still do the same day of atonement and all of that you mean at the time at the time before the Babylonians got them and everything? Yes. Yeah, yeah. But, but you know, they, all, they weren't always faithful. That's part of the problem is they just weren't always faithful to do the things that sometimes they didn't even do the Passover meal. Sometimes they didn't do that. And, of course, at the time of Christ, you got, oh, I mean, at the time of the Babylonian captivity, you've got some really wicked people in 
positions of leadership, and so they weren't faithful. And that's why they were worshiping false gods. If you read Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, that they they come back. Uh, Jeremiah gets taken back, and so does Ezekiel. He's Ezekiel's in captivity, and and in the spirit form, God brings Ezekiel back, and God says, "Look." What's happening? And there were people in the temple worshiping false gods. And there were women that were worshiping a god called Tamez, which is a female deity. And there were men worshiping the sun in the temple. And God said, see, what, see what's going on here? And, and Ezekiel went, I think they're in trouble. Yeah, yeah, they are. They're in trouble. So they, they were not faithful. They were not. That's one reason God allowed it to be destroyed. And what happened, what, what happened in A.D. 70? God allowed the other temple to be destroyed. So they had that very first, that temple that Solomon built was destroyed. And they built another one. And then Herod came in there and really built onto it. It's been destroyed. There'll be another temple. And there'll be another temple. And it'll probably be destroyed. And that's the one that's going to be built in the, uh, during the tribulation. The Antichrist is going to put his idol up in there. I, I just... The Bible doesn't say, but I'm wondering if when Jesus sets up the kingship, whether he'll allow that temple to be there since the Antichrist put his idol up in there. He may tear it all down and start build another one. We know that in the eternal state, there will be no temple because God, Jesus Christ himself, is the temple. So that's some, some really good stuff.